It's really a pleasure to be here, to see all of you here. It's my first reading, as I told Rin. I um, don't read poetry, but this was an honor to, to share the stage and space with all of you. And Artist Space has been in my life for a long time. And just to think about how we can rework together and connect it with each other. So it's, it's a pleasure. Um, I teach photography and imaging, and I teach a class called The Black Body and the Lens at NYU. And so my courses are a combination of historical and contemporary ways of looking at images and to think about the gendered body, um, thinking about um, the construction of beauty, as well as to think about how technology is used in telling a story. But also to think about what, um, how race, beauty, and identity is formed. And, and so teaching and valuing everyone's voices. There's a, a, a piece by Audre Lorde that is central to my thinking and, and how identity is formed. And it's out, of a, it's out of her Sister Outsider, 1984. The AA subway train to Harlem. I clutch my mother's sleeve, her arms full of shopping bags. Christmas heavy, the wet smell of winter Clothes, the trains lurching. My mother spots an almost seat, pushes my little snow-suited body down. On one side of me, a man reading a paper. On the other, a woman in a fur hat staring at me. Her mouth twitches as she stares, and then her gaze drops down, pulling mine with it. Her leather-gloved hand plucks at the line where my new blue snowsuit and her sleek fur coat meet. She jerks her coat closer to her. I look, I do not see whatever terrible thing she is seeing on the seat between us, perhaps a roach. But she's communicated her horror to me. It must be something very bad from the way she's looking, so I pull my snowsuit closer to me away from it too. When I look up, the woman is still staring at me, her nose holes, her nose holes and eyes huge, and suddenly I realize that there is nothing crawling up the seat between us. It is me she doesn't want her coat to touch. The fur brushes past my face as she stands with a shudder and holds onto a strap in the speeding train. Born and bred in New York City, a New York City child, I quickly slide over to make room for my mother to sit down. No word has been spoken. I'm afraid to say anything to my mother because I don't know what I've done. I look at the sides of my snowsuits, my snowsuit pants secretly. Is there something on them? There's something going on here I do not understand, but I will never forget it. Her eyes, the flared nostrils, the hate. So racism is insidious. It is not simply that it provides justification for economic exploitation and political domination. There's something about racism with its victims, and victims live within it. The production is that racism penetrates to the very core of who we are. It is, it is the one of the primary influence negating or affirming our sense of individual and group worth, passing final judgment on the value of one's history, culture, and language, and one's intellect and physical appearance. The problem is not that the woman sitting next to the young Audra believes that black people are inferior to whites, that she subscribes to an ideology of racism, although she, this is what 
would be bad enough. Rather, she knows that the brown child is repugnant and knows it in her bones and knows it before she thinks it. I want to just kind of have you think about that and think about what happens to a child who is looking at this sense of, of being othered. You know, her response is visceral, she stares, her mouth twitches, her hand plucks, she jerks, she communicates her horror, her nostrils flare, her eyes bulge, she stands in shudder. The whole body signifies defilement and hate. It is as if her space had been provided, had been invaded by someone with a horrific, contagious disease. It is as if she had, had seen a roach. So for the child to think about that shock and horror. Then I'm going to follow up with a um, piece by Robin Kelly, who is, is uh, central to my way of thinking and teaching. And he writes that love, study, struggle. Taped inside the top drawer of my desk is a small scrap of paper with three words scrawled across it. Love, study, struggle. It serves as a daily reminder of what I'm supposed to be doing. Black study and resistance must begin with love. James Baldwin understood love as agency probably better than anyone. For him, it meant to love ourselves as black people. It meant making love the motivation for making revolution. It meant envisioning a society where everyone is embraced, where there is no oppression, where every, every life is valued, even though those who have once have been our oppressors. It did not mean seeking white people's love and acceptance or seeking or seeking belonging in the world created by our oppressors. In The Fire Next Time, he writes, I do not know many Negroes who are eager to be accepted by white people, still less to be loved by them. They, the blacks, simply don't wish to be beaten over the head by the whites every instant of our brief passage on earth. But here is the catch. If we are committed to genuine freedom, we have no choice but to love, um, to love all. To love all is to fight relentlessly to end exploitation and oppression everywhere, even on behalf of those who believe that they hate us. This is what Baldwin's point begins, and perhaps misunderstood and reviled point. To love this way requires relentless struggle, deep struggle, and critique. So thinking about how do we talk about love is, is a central way of, of teaching and studying. So I'd like to thank you for this opportunity to share two passages that are central to my core. Thank you. Thank you.